Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. We are continuing our series of studies in anthropology, and specifically the studies that deal with the scientific account in Genesis 1 to 3 on the fall of man. If you heard our last broadcast, you heard us spend considerable time in reviewing the matter of evolution, the false teaching of the UNESCO and the United Nations, and the stupidity of the scientists who think they're accomplishing something when they haven't solved one major problem of the human race for 4,000 years, and of course they won't. This is why 1 Timothy 6.20 tells us to beware of science, because science, of course, course, can only brag about improvements in communication and transportation, having never solved one of the seven major problems of mankind. We're therefore dealing with a uh, factual account in Genesis 1 and 3 of the fall of man, not the rise of man. And the man who accepts Genesis 1 to 3 as a scientific, accurate account for the origin of the human race and its subsequent demise is always on 100% better ground than the man who listened to foolishness put out by the National Education Association, the Reader's Digest, Time and Life magazine, and what we call the party line of UNESCO. We last on our last broadcast, we spoke about the fact that Adam was a 33-year-old male without wings as angels. We mentioned the fact he was different uh, in his origin, that he was made from the ground, and angels are not. We pointed out to you the fact that uh, although he had no blood as such when he was created, he had a circulatory system of water, which was changed to blood uh, orally through the forbidden fruit. And we talked about these things. We pointed out the documented scriptural evidence for such a belief and pointed out to the listener and the believer that this could not be found in any commentary written on Genesis or learned in any Christian school because for a hundred years the Christian schools and the commentaries have been attacking the King James text. If you find this material, you will find it in the King James text apart from the knowledge of any Hebrew or Greek scholar, living or dead. After all, the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple, and after all, alongside the factual scientific account of 1611, modern scholarship really doesn't amount to anything anyway. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, looking at the account as it stands, the woman was close to the tree. She should have fled from the place of temptation. She was hanging around it. She was standing admiring its beauty, because after all, it was good for food and for wisdom, a desire to make one wise and pleasant to look at. That is, the most subtle temptations have nothing to do with committing fornication. They have to do with dating a pretty girl. The most subtle temptations have nothing to do with killing somebody with a razor blade in the back alley. They have to do with burning with a cigarette butt in the washroom so you can get his lunch money. You know what I mean, Evergreen? She parleyed with the devil. She listened to him, which she had no business doing. Never converse or argue with Satan except you quote scripture to him. The Bible says resist the devil, and she didn't. But she tampered with the Word of God. Most of the commentaries point out that she added to the Word of God, but of course uh, that is the conflate theory of Westcott and Hort, that the Bible is a conflate text that is conflated by putting together Western and Alexandrian readings to make the uh, complete Byzantine text of Erasmus. You might expect a man to think that was the first sin he committed who had committed the same sin himself. As a matter of fact, that wasn't the first sin committed by Eve at all. The first sin committed by Eve was the sin of the Lockman Foundation and the Westcott and Hort uh, group and Nestles and Oliver Metzger. It was subtracting from the Word of God. The shorter text is the wrong text. She took the word freely from the original command, from the Word of God. 
The first sin is omitting from the Word of God. As the New American Standard Version omitted half of Acts 9.5, half of Acts 9.6. As the New American Standard Version omitted 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. As the New American Standard Version omitted Mark chapter 9, part of verse 46 and verse 48. As the New American Standard Version took the name Lord or God or Jesus or Christ out of 30 passages. The New American Standard Version, one of the most corrupt, polluted, godless of the depraved translation of the market, is uh, perhaps the very worst for the Christian to fool with, because it not only subtracts from the Word of God, as he did, but it also adds things to the text that are found in no text, and adds things to the text that deny the deity of Christ. You'll find the word Lord knocked out of the dying thief's mouth in Luke 23 in the New ASV. You'll find the Son of God has been converted to the Son of Man in John chapter 9, verse 35. You'll find the judgment seat of Christ has been ordered the judgment seat of God in Romans chapter 14. And this is only a few of the 2,000 gross errors and 5,000 blunders in the New American Standard Version, International Version, recommended by the apostate fundamentalists of Christian colleges. Then she toned down the word. First of all, she subtracted the word freely. Then she added, you shall not touch it. And then she said, uh, she toned the thing down, and Eve said, the Lord said, lest ye die. The Lord did not say, lest ye die. The Lord said, thou shalt surely die. So we see the three main sins of the modern Bible reviser found in embryo in the first three chapters on the origins of man. How do you account for this? You won't find the material in the Book of the Dead. You won't find it in the writings of the Gehava Gita or the Rosicrucian literature. There is no body of religious literature in the world under heaven that begins with the crucial, essential issues of life for anybody, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. The crucial, essential issues are what they put in their mouth that they should and should not put in their mouth, and what God's mouth said that they question. And that takes care of the human race. And what can't be explained by that, nobody's ever explained. How do you people uh, explain this matter? How do you present your uh, Mickey Mouse exegesis and your Disneyland scholarship to the effect that Genesis 1 to 3 is not a scientific account when it deals with all the essential demonstrable facts? I can demonstrate that little children run and hide when they get caught. Genesis 3. I can demonstrate they blame each other when they get caught. Genesis 3. I can demonstrate that people tend to pass the buck when they get caught. Genesis 3. I can demonstrate that when people are first born, they're not ashamed when they're naked. Genesis 2. I can demonstrate that the greatest satanic business of the earth is questioning what God said. Genesis chapter 3. I can demonstrate the scholars who hate it and resent it always subtract from it or add to it and then tone it down. Genesis chapter 3. My, my, does not old King James Bible get off to a flying start, man? That here Bible showed you through a lot lighter than that commentary, don't it? Did you ever think about that? Did you ever try to, in your own mind, try to explain how there is no religious book in the world or any so-called scriptures of any religion that even know where to start? Well, I know how they start. They start with philosophical intellectual discussions about spiritual truths. Why, the Bible doesn't start that way. 
It starts with your mouth and your belly. Now, isn't that something? Now Eve looked at the tree. She saw it was good for food, positive. Pleasant to the eyes, positive. And one that could make her wise, positive. So she ignored what God said. After all, what's wrong with something good for food? Amen? And what's wrong with something that's pleasant for the eyes? Amen? Aren't the new Bibles easy to understand? And it could make her wise if she partook of it. What's wrong with studying Hebrew and Greek to get the originals? Hmm? Nothing except to damn the whole human race. She did what God told her not to do. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, there's that word, and gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. And there's that word again. Isn't it strange how many times that word ate, eat, or eaten pops up in a religious book that is supposed to be dealing with eternal truths? Isn't that weird? Why, Joe Smith's Book of Mormon doesn't start that way. Why, Mary Baker Eddy's Key to the Science and Scripture doesn't start that way. Isn't that a weird way for a book to start? Starting with your birth, your naked, your desire to put stuff in your mouth, your trouble putting things in your mouth that don't belong there, you're hiding from God and running from God and blaming others when you, when you get caught. And a while we'll see covering up your sin with good works. Mm -mm. Isn't it amazing how applicable Genesis 3 is to a saved psychiatrist in 1980? Isn't that weird? Isn't that the weirdest thing you ever saw? Here's an old book, Holy with the Age of Centuries, but they're hanging around here. It's seen the birth, they've seen the cradle of every other book, and they live to see their graveyard, their grave, and every two or three months they come out and try to bury that book, and it resurrects, and they bury it, and it resurrects, and they bury it, and it resurrects, and as each new hot, toddy little Charlie Brown Peanuts revision comes off the press, they say, now we've buried it, and it comes up, and they say, we've buried it, and it comes up. Why, this book I've got in my life has such power and authority that if any 35 PhDs listening to my voice sat down at a table and made a new translation of the Bible, they would have to compare it with the one I've got in my lap to sell it. Now, you pray about that two or three years. There hasn't been one version off the market in the last 100 years that they have to compare itself with a book 300 years old in order to sell. That must be terribly humiliating for a fellow who's trying to show off and demonstrate his stupidity. She ate, and her husband ate. According to First Timothy, her husband knew he'd die if he ate, so he ate to die with her, because he loved her enough to die for her. You see, where do you find that? First Timothy chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 5. Did you ever read it? You really ought to read it. You'll read that stuff in there in First Timothy about Adam was not the seed, but the woman being the seed was in the transgression. You'll read that stuff over there. You'll read that stuff over there in Ephesians chapter 5 where Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. For this cause a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. I speak a great mystery. Nevertheless, I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
Christ's relationship to the body of saved people is the relationship of Adam to his wife Eve. She's part of his body, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, which accounts why in our last broadcast we said no blood. You didn't read anything in your Bible about Adam and Eve having any blood before they fell? You just took that for granted, you know, going off to some Christian school and getting a lot of baloney that attacked the Bible and said it's unfortunate it was translated this way and a better rendering should be and the, the Greek brings it out clear and all that nonsense. You know the party line. Adam and Eve had a circulatory system with water. They were blue bloods. When they ate, they got red blood, and they got the wrong kind of blood. Now they ate. And when they ate, Eve ate first, and she asked her husband and showed him what she'd done, and he ate too, and he ate with knowledge, whereas she was deceived. This is the straight and clear testimony of the New Testament, and I'll read it for you in case you have some doubts about it. And I'm reading here from First uh, Timothy, chapter 2, verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. That Adam did what he did voluntarily, with knowledge of forethought, with knowledge ahead of time as to what would happen, and Adam knew when he took it he would die, and die he did. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for the law of sin. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. There it goes. 5 at 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteousness. And there it is. Sin came to this world through Adam. He was the head of the race. He had the seed. It couldn't have entered this world if it had stopped in Eve. Because Eve could not reproduce without the man. Now, you think these basic scientific facts would be accepted by these people who talk about being scientific, but they're still talking about this asexual one-celled animal that split and became a two-celled animal, and a three-celled animal, four, five, six, and then gradually developed organs where one was male and one was female. All that godless, depraved, superstitious nonsense. Why you people believe that mythological rot? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Don't you know what that book said about this matter? I mean, it was clear. You couldn't possibly have missed it. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where nobody could miss it, verse 8, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created the woman, but the woman for the man. You said, who believed that male chauvinist bit? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what were you saying? Isn't that something? It is amazing how smart these college-educated people think they are. These poor little Donald Duck characters running around with Paleo Lyle and Huxley and Freud and Schopenhauer and Nietzsche and Pavlov under their arms, running around talking about male chauvinism. What a bunch of ridiculous characters. Why, they're just communists trying to level you down to a mongrel mass. Can't you figure that out? We had a, a lady, I don't know if it was a lady or not, some people said it was a he, some people said it was a she that came through here and got a tremendous write-up. We had to were exposed to pictures of that freak in the newspaper for something like two weeks. Every day there was almost a full page, uh, page spread in that freak, and that freak was supposed to be an athlete. Do you know what the full page spread was for five days? 
It was about its sex life. Boy, what a distinguished character. Now, you know what Christ said about this male and female business? I mean, do you female chauvinists and other socialists who are trying to overthrow the government? You know what he said? He said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said in Mark 13, 19, For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time. According to Jesus Christ, the beginning is Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and the beginning God created it. It didn't evolve. And when God created man and woman, they weren't created monkeys. They were created man and woman as male and female. And I don't mean asexual or bisexual. You say, well, aren't you up with a... I read all the junk you read, probably a lot more. You say, well, you are cake, bigot, a reactionary. You're the reactionary, bigot, son. You're trying to get back to the jungle. You're the one that won't take the clothes off and run around with no standards and no bars and only to relative sex and relative morals and relative right and relative wrong, you're the Bushman. Don't talk to me, you hot and tot. We've got standards know what the standards are. They're in the Word of God. She ate. She gave to her husband. He ate because he loved enough to die for. Isn't that remarkable? You see what's remarkable about that, Dr. Ruckman? Haven't you ever been by a magazine stand in 1977? Aren't people peculiar? Here somebody says that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is myth and allegory and legend, and yet it explains what you see in front of your eyes in Kmart. It's weird, isn't it? You know what the most popular themes are on television, radio, movies, books, magazines, and novels? Why, sure, man, sex and killing. You know what they call it on TV? They call it violence. Do you know what, you know what people buy on the newsstand? Stories about love and murder. Didn't you know that? You said I knew that. Well, how do you explain that? Here's a book that explains it. Here's a book that before it goes three chapters, it doesn't talk about how to get saved or what to get saved from or how to live or how not to live. It talks about your mouth and your belly and killing and dying and loving some enough to die for them. But you talk about basics. You talk about basics. If you took off the newsstand and the bookstore, every magazine and paper book and paperback and pocketbook that dealt with love and murder or love and killing or sex and killing, but you wouldn't have anything left sitting there or some magazines on gardening and fixing automobiles and buying boats. When we accept the Genesis account of creation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, as the exact scientific account, we're on grounds that are substantial and demonstrable by empirical methods, about 890% higher than any scientist in the world can demonstrate anything he believes in that runs contrary to it. So we accept the Genesis account of the fall of man, the creation of scientific, we're getting on a level far above any level where your college teacher has ever been. We're getting with a level here that explains oral satisfaction, degeneration, old age, death, Bright's disease, Hodgkin's disease, leukemia, and the other 40 that deal with bad blood, man's appetite, man's work habits, man's love habits, 
women's attitude toward men, women's attitude toward the Word of God, the devil's attitude toward the Word of God, the Word of God as it's related to authority, what is authoritative and what is not, how authority can be overthrown and how it can be obeyed, and what are the results from obeying it and the results from overthrowing it. Would you it's a pretty good mouthpiece for a book written in 1500 B.C.? Plato's Republic doesn't cover the ground. Das Kapital by Karl Marx didn't cover the ground. The Origin of the Species by Charlie Darwin didn't cover the ground. Mayo Saitung's Red Book didn't cover the ground. But I've got three chapters that cover the ground. Isn't that wild? I've got three chapters that explain why men run women and why women want to run men. I've got three chapters here that explain why all your labor is to feed your belly. I've got three chapters here that explain why you die and what's wrong with your body and what's wrong with your life and your blood. I've got three chapters that show how you got in the condition you're in and how it began. I've got three chapters here that show what's going on in every continent in this world and how it operates and a detailed analysis of it and how to fix it or how to take care of it. And I have a detailed analysis here of human nature from birth to the time that a person hides from God, gets an education, wise, being as gods, knowing good and evil, to cover up the fact that they have sinned against God. Ain't that a pretty good hunk for three pieces of paper? I'd say it's a pretty good hunk, wouldn't you? That's one page for the ending in Genesis 2 and two pages for Genesis 3. That three pieces of paper that states more that so that can be proved in court by human conduct in 1970 than you can find in the last 35 issues of the American Journal on Scientific Advancement. Well, you're not a fool to accept Genesis 1 to 3 as a scientific account. You're a fool if you don't. Adam and Eve became sinners. Their spirit died. The Lord said, In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. In the day they ate thereof, they died. Now, people listen to Armstrongism and uh, British Israel, and they think that the death was physical. That's what we call the J.W. or No Heller theology, which, of course, is not theology. It's a philosophy. In the Bible, when Adam and Eve partake of it, they die right on the spot. And that's why the Bible says you must be born again, because you're dead. You're dead now. The Bible says, She that liveth in pleasure is dead, while she yet liveth. Christ said, Let the dead bury the dead. Their spirit died. They have to be born again, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That is an all. Their souls became stuck to their bodies. Read Revelation chapter 6. Read Luke chapter 16. The soul became so stuck to the body that the no-hellers thought the soul and the flesh were identical, and these poor deluded people thought when your body went into the grave, your soul went into the grave. In spite of the fact that in Genesis chapter 35, Rachel's soul left her body before her body went into the grave, and Jacob was gathered to his fathers 50 days before his body went into any grave. Now, we call this the no-heller philosophy, and of course it's not a theology, it's not a Bible doctrine. The teaching of the hell is not a literal place separate from the grave where a soul goes to burn is not a theology. It's a philosophy that's built on the uh, vain imagination and the desperate hope that when a fellow dies, he won't burn forever. Uh, this is what we call wishful thinking. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. 
They sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness, and they went and hid from the presence of God. That is, they did exactly what 90% of the church members in America do today. They put on their own self-righteousness to cover their symbolists, and they hide from God in the church or behind the sacraments, and then start giving alibis for their sin when they're caught, and say, what about the heathen that don't know? What about the folks that never heard? How do you know they're all the Word of God? The translations differ, you know. Adam and Eve, 20th century style. The curses are pronounced on the serpent. They still hold true. On the woman, her husband will rule over her, pain and sorrow and childbirth. You say, what has science done to alleviate this? Absolutely nothing. If a man can't run his wife, he'll wreck her. If a man can't rule his home, he'll ruin it. You hear what I said, lady? I said, if a man can't rule his home, he'll ruin it. Do you understand that? If you don't, you will. You won't beat God out. You don't legislate the Word of God out of court. You don't pass communist and socialistic laws to take care of ghettos and minorities and overthrow the living Word of the living God. You'll never do it. On the man the ground was cursed, it brought forth thorns and thistles, which it still does. His life is to be one of sorrow, which it is. He'll make his living with perspiration, which he does. And when he dies, he'll go back to the dust, which he does. You say, what has science done to alleviate this? Absolutely nothing. The air-conditioned car, the air-conditioned house, the air-conditioned office to keep you from perspiring fills your body full of poisons, and if you don't get to a sauna and a steam bath and get rid of them, you'll lose 10 to 20 years off your life, thanks to science. You'll go back to the dirt, and if they cremate you, they'll put you in a piece of pottery up on the shelf, and the pottery was made out of the dirt. And if it's silver or gold, it came out of the ground. You won't beat God out with a lot of 20th century scientific baloney. What God said in Genesis 3 is scientifically true for anybody, anytime, any place, anywhere. And there has been one advancement of science in 4,000 years that has changed one word of Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 to verse 20. The ground is still cursed, and that's why you die when you eat from it. There's something wrong with the ground. Everything you eat comes from the ground. There's nothing you put in your mouth that doesn't come from the ground. And if it came from the air, it was on the ground before it got in the air. Don't kid me. When God said what he said in Genesis 3, he laid down the absolute, infallible, scientific, dogmatic fiat which holds for any scientist, living or dead, regardless of his education or sex in any age, and what God said in Genesis 3, verse 12 to 20, has never been abrogated, nullified, revised, changed, altered, or improved upon by any body of scientists on any continent in 6,000 years of recorded history. When the King James Bible says it, brother, that's it. And you birds I'm talking to, you'll live a life in a veil of tears and sorrow, You'll die and you'll go back to the dust and you'll sweat on your way. And if you don't believe that, it just goes to show how little sense you've got. And if you don't like it, as they say out in the world, you can lump it. When God says it, that's it. So here we have the scientific account of the origins of life and the universe, the scientific account of the origins of man, and the only scientific textbook in existence on the fall of man and his present condition. On our next broadcast, we'll talk about sin and the results.
of the fall. Until then, may the Lord bless you and good day.